Jesus, we come to you, we pray, we, we worship you first and foremost. Uh, you deserve all praise in the, in the universe, Lord. And it's not even um, strange for the rocks to cry out and praise you. All the stars dance for your glory, the, the word says, and sing. And Lord God, the, the very stones would cry out if we didn't worship you. So, Lord, we want to be obedient to what all of the universe is created to do, and that's to give you glory and honor and praise. You're so worthy of it. You, you do everything right. No matter if we understand it or we don't understand it, you do everything perfectly. And God, we, we love that we have a God like that. And Jesus, you're the perfect reflection and image of God to us. And so we worship you above all things in our life, more than our comfort, more than our, our idea of what this life should be. Lord, we worship you. And Jesus, we thank you so much for your word and how it so clearly gives us a picture of who you are and what type of character you would describe you. Thank you so much for your word. We ask Jesus that you would send your spirit to us today to teach us and give us exactly what we need today, the manna that would feed our souls today. We pray that would be given to us and we would uh, take that by faith believing that you'll answer that prayer. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Today's time in our word is called, Get Off Your Camels. Get off your camels, and you'll see why as we get to the end. But to begin with, we're going to, the word of God, the Bible, is a picture for us of God. And the Old Testament and the New Testament are put together in one book for all of us. All of us have a Bible, and it's the Old Testament with the New Testament because they, they're related. They're different, but they are very related. The Old Testament has these illustrations and these pictures that show us the principles that are clearly explained in the New Testament. So you could say that the Old Testament illustrates and the New Testament reveals. So this Old Testament contains all these really cool pictures. And every time you see a principle in the New Testament, there's going to be an Old Testament illustration that goes along with that principle. You'll see that time and time again. We'll see that with communion, resurrection, the Holy Spirit. Many, many different things are illustrated in the Old Testament. And as we've been going through Genesis, we've seen many different illustrations that have been given to us. But the most clear and the most important in the whole book of Genesis is of Abraham illustrating the father and his son Isaac being a type of Jesus, the father and the son. And if you would remember back a few, a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 22, we saw the father having to sacrifice the son. We saw that there needed to be a sacrifice, and so the father committed to making that sacrifice of his only begotten son. And we saw the, the illustration was so clear that it was such a clear picture. The Bible even uses the same words for only begotten in Genesis as only begotten in John for Jesus and for Isaac. It's a very clear illustration given to us. And, and we saw that the son willingly went with the father 
when Isaac said, I'm going to go with you, even though Isaac was probably 30, 33 years old, stronger than his dad, he willingly said, I'm going to go with you and be the sacrifice. And so we saw that the father prophesied that his son would come back. Abraham prophesied about Isaac. We are going to go worship and come back to you, to his servants there. And we see the father prophesying, giving us many prophecies about how Jesus would rise from the dead. We saw how the father chopped the wood. He prepared the sacrifice. He built the altar. He bound his son up. We saw that the father laid his son on the wood for the sacrifice, being a perfect picture, a perfect illustration for how the father, the heavenly father, would lay his own son on the wood of the cross to be the sacrifice for us. All this found in the book of Genesis. Then we see that the father takes the instruments of death in his hands, but that's where the story changes, and God didn't require Abraham to sacrifice his son, but God did sacrifice his son for us. He didn't stop it. He went ahead and went through with it. And so we had the son offered up in chapter 22, and then a couple weeks ago we, stopped, we studied chapter 23, in which Sarah died. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, dies. The mother of Isaac dies. And she, in our typology, in our picture, is a picture of Israel, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. When Jesus came, he was a Jew. They gave birth to him. And they were God's people in that time. But when they rejected Jesus, they enter into a different period in their history where they were put away. They died, you could say, in chapter 23. So the Jewish system of relating to God was put away with after Jesus was crucified. The temple was destroyed and the people were scattered. The veil was torn by God himself, saying that this is no longer the way it's going to happen. And we saw that that religious system was totally neutralized. Today, there is no temple. They are not making sacrifices. The system is dead right now. There are still Jews. They still exist. But now we are going to see a bride is being selected for Isaac in our chapter this week, chapter 25. This bride is being selected, being found. Isaac is a picture of the church, uh, is, excuse me, is a picture of Jesus. So his bride, I just gave it away, is a picture of the church. The church, this new character in our drama, in our unfolding typography and picture of what's going on is the bride. And we're going to see another character in chapter 25 next week. Excuse me, we're in 24 this week. 25 next week, we're going to see a new character named Keturah, who is going to be the new bride of Abraham. So in two weeks, when we get to that, I'm going to teach you guys how Keturah speaks of the time in the millennium and the people of God during the millennium. It's a real exciting study. So this whole illustration is given to us here in the book of Genesis. But now we are in chapter 24, the story of how Isaac gets his bride. It's pretty exciting. So join with me reading 
in chapter 24. Now Abraham was old and well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. In Luke chapter 12, we read, Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Such a beautiful, beautiful promise given to us. And Abraham, he pictured and and typified a person who just lived by that promise. He was concerned about the kingdom of God, for the most part. And as he was concerned about the kingdom of God, and he sought the kingdom of God first, God added to him and blessed him in all things. And that's what we read there fulfilled in Genesis chapter 24, verse 1. And then it says, So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country, to my family, and take a wife from my son Isaac. So we have another character added to our study. And this is the servant, the eldest servant of Abraham. And this, we know from Genesis chapter 15, was probably Eleazar, who was not born in Abraham, or he was born there in his family, but he wasn't part of the family by blood. He was a servant, okay? And this servant for us is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. But why aren't we told his name here in this this chapter that's giving us such a, such a neat picture of how the Holy Spirit works, of how Jesus gets his bride. And I think it's very clear. It's because the Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself. Never does the Holy Spirit ever draw attention to himself. So, the, so this chapter just kind of brushes over what his name is. It's not important. He's a servant. He's a servant. When Jesus says... In the New Testament, the Spirit will not testify of himself, but he will testify of me. In John chapter 12, verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit testifying of Jesus. Any true movement of the Holy Spirit is about Jesus and not about the Spirit himself. It's important to understand that. The Spirit is always drawing the eyes to the Son. And and the servant, we're going to see, does a masterful job of just being a servant, just taking the back road and saying, come, look look at Jesus. Look at what Isaac is. He's going to go to the, we're going to see, I'm getting ahead of myself. So what he does, Abraham is funny. He, he goes and he says, I'm going to mess everything up here, but I'm going to sit right here. Just, so I'm going to be Abraham. Nathan, you're the Holy Spirit right here. So this is what Abraham he says. Eleazar, come here, servant. Put your hand under my thigh. It's awkward. <laughs> under my thigh. You know why? Because you can't get away when I'm talking to you. You can't get away, right? You're going to listen to what I have to say. Yeah. So this is very important. Listen to me. All right. 
I felt like you had to have that visual illustration of what, and they did that commonly to make it, like, this was really important to Abraham, that Eleazar looked him in the eyes, smelled his B.O., and knew exactly what was in his heart. He wanted his servant to know. And that's what we hear about with the, with the Holy Spirit and the Father, is that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. The Holy Spirit knows the Father, and he's drawing us to, to that. And uh, so I, I was just encouraged by that. So Abraham, though, he knew that his brother had a daughter way back in Babylon, in Ur of the Chaldees, where he was from, and she turns out to be very special, this girl that we're going to meet today, who is a picture of you and me in the church. Her name is Rebecca. We're going to see here. She's a beautiful and a pure girl. So let's read on. Verse 5. And the servant said to him, Perhaps this woman will be not willing to follow me in this land, to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son from there. Verse 8, it's a key verse. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So Abraham says, don't force her. You can't force her. Because the spirit was like, well, I mean, the servant, he's like, well, what if she doesn't want to come? What if she won't follow me? And Abraham's like, no, she must be willing to follow you, which is a really good verse when it comes to this whole free will predestination thing, there is something to be said for the free will of man. Now, the Spirit is willing. He pleads. He's going to go after you. He's going to plead. He'll alter circumstances to make it appealing to follow him. He may bring some difficult circumstances into your life. He will urge you. He will knock at the door of your heart, but he will never force a human being to follow and go to Jesus. He'll never force it because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, a complete gentleman. He's never an overpowering force. All things are done decently in order when it comes to the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, which means when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are able to always be in control of your actions. You are never to bark like a dog or be crazy in some way. The Spirit never does that because the Spirit is always in control and then He allows you to remain in control. You are always able to be willing to follow the Spirit. The Spirit is pictured like what animal? A dove, right? A vicious Wild, unbelievably powerful dove. No, that's not what doves are. Doves are like the most gentle of all the creatures in the world. If you just go, oh, they're like, ah, and they fly away. You know, he's not, he's pure and peaceful. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
gentle, kind. These are the attributes that he He's not like a vulture. He's not described as an eagle, just like coming in with his talons to rip you to shreds. It's not the Holy Spirit. He's not like a hummingbird either, just all over the place, just wild. That's not the Holy Spirit either. He's patient. When you're willing to wait and sit there on the park bench, the doves will come closer to you. And when you wait upon the Lord, he will draw near to you. The Holy Spirit is not this big mystery. He wants to draw us near, and he's pictured as a dove. So that's what I see with this whole picture with Abraham and the servant. Abraham's like, you don't force her. I believe that this angel of the Lord is going to go and is going to prepare her heart and she'll want to follow you. Let's see what happens. Verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed. Remember that there's 10 camels. This is, these are another characters in this story. We'll talk about them at the end, okay? But I just want you to remember, there's 10 of them. These 10 thirsty, stinking camels, all right? for all his master's goods that were in his hand. So he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time and at the time when women go out to draw, to draw water. And then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by a well of water. And the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be when the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he finished speaking that Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now, the, uh, this young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her, and she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she'd finished giving a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well and drew water and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So this is an amazing situation, okay? The, now, I want you to know that filling or watering camels was a big job. So it would take literally about two hours to draw enough water for 10 camels. So she's not just saying, hey, let me just get some water for it. No, this is a, let me do two hours worth of heavy manual labor. What, what the, the servant here is doing is he's, he's praying to the Lord and he's basically stacking the deck against any random girl fulfilling this. He's saying, God, 
I, I, want, I believe that you're going to be here and you've prepared things. And so let me stack the deck against any randomness. I want to know for sure your will. I want to know the girl that you have for my master's son. He wants to be sure that God is providing and it's not a fluke. He doesn't want to bring back some ugly girl that his master is not happy with just because it was some random thing. He wants the one that's going to make his master happy. That's what he's concerned about. Single men and single women, do you notice where, do you notice where he finds his bride, the bride, the girl, at the well, at the well? And I think it's a great lesson for everyone in here who's single and all the single that, people that you have a time and uh, you're ministering to out in the world, out in Denver here, where should you find your spouse? At the well. At church. When you, when you come and you sit next to them on the bus, what are they doing? They're at the well, spending time in the Word. When you see them at Pizza Hut, they're at the well. That's such a perfect place to find your spouse. We see it pictured many times. Jacob, Moses, here Isaac and his ser- the servant, they all find their wives at the well. You don't need to be finding, what, what well does the world go to to find their wives, their spouse? <laughs> the bar, right? <laughs> Drinking deeply from the fountains of wickedness. <laughs> no, we don't need to find our spouses there. Just keep coming. You might look around and you might not see the pure and beautiful girl you're looking for right now, but just keep coming to the well. She'll be there. It's a good lesson. Now, the other thing I see in this text is that she was pure. And this is kind of where our illustration breaks down a little bit because we're not pure. We're not beautiful. Ah, but, but... How does God see you? How does Jesus see you? He sees you as pure. When you are in Christ, you are seen as spotless and pure. And it's so healthy for us to spend time in the book of the Song of Solomon to develop this heart in us. Because in the Song of Solomon, it's, it's, a, it's a love story. And the application is for, the, for that specific marriage and what the Lord did in that marriage, but it's got a deeper application for Christ in the church that's very, very awesome. And the man being Christ, and he, it's all about his desperate love for this girl and how beautiful he sees her. And that's what the Holy Spirit sees also when he's ministering to you. He's going he's gonna to provide all that you need to get washed up and cleaned it's pretty awesome what he does. So look now, verse 22. So it was when the camels were finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring and that weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold. And he, he gave it to her. So here we have the servant giving the woman gifts, which is exactly what happens with the Holy Spirit. He gives supernatural abilities and gifts to his church. 
These are gold, which in the Bible is the medal of divinity, of God himself. It pictures him. They are from him. Now, I don't know what gifts you have all been given, but God has promised that he has given you a gift to walk in, and it's a, a supernatural gift. And some gifts are more glamorous than other gifts. Some gifts are, are teaching and shepherding, and that's, you get to see that person, and that's just the nature of that gift, whereas other gifts are serving or giving or mercy, gifts that only take place deep in the heart, but they're supernatural nonetheless, and they're just as needed for the body of Christ. If we were all teachers, it would be chaos in here right now. I'd be saying something, you'd be saying, well, I think this, and I think that, and I think this too. But no, right now there's order because God has set one gift to be exercised right here, right now, and it is supernatural. It is supernatural what is happening right here. And then when we greet each other and someone puts their arm around someone and they give a hug and they feel their pain supernaturally, that's supernatural as well, a gift of mercy. And then someone else has a gift of encouragement, and that's supernatural. And there's just as important because some of you don't really care about the teaching sometimes. You didn't need this teaching. You're already married or whatever. You've, you've already learned these. or It's good for all of us. But maybe you're really just discouraged. And so what you need is someone to just grab your hand and give you a hug or just say the Lord loves you or whatever these other spirit, supernatural spiritual things happen within the body of Christ here today. So, the Spirit gives gifts, bracelets, a nose ring. I guess nose rings were cool back then. Verse 23, and he said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough to, and room to lodge. So the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth towards my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So here, the servant, he's so excited. He's so full of praise for what God has done for him. And what did he do? The God had provided the way. He says, as for me, I was being on the way and the Lord led me. And he gave mercy and he gave all kinds of gifts and he's done everything I needed. He's provided for me. And all I did was stayed on the way. Stayed in the way. You know, in John, Jesus says, I am the way, right? I am the way. So if you want to achieve the same mercy and grace that Abraham, or that the servant received in his journey, if you're on a journey and this life being a journey, and you want to have that same work of God in your life, what do you need to do? Stay on the way. Stay in the way. Abide in Christ. You keep yourself in the way, and you will end up where you're supposed to be. See, the servant didn't know where Abraham's family was. He just stayed in the way, the way, which is a perfect illustration for us. We wake up, we read the Bible, not knowing what's going to happen that day. 
We spend time with him, not knowing what the path laid before us is. And those paths are rocky sometimes, but if we're in the way, Jesus being the way, you're going to end up where you're supposed to be. You know, some missionaries go across the world and they're, they're with Jesus. And then their, their time there comes to an end and they come back and sometimes they're discouraged because they feel like they failed taking the step of faith. And I don't think that's ever the case. Because God was with them on the way. They won't maybe get to see the fruit of their labor. They may not get to see why, but the Lord got them to where he wanted them to be. And maybe it was back here. Maybe it was ending up somewhere else. The Lord will get you where you want to be. It doesn't have to be a stressful thing. What am I going to do for God when I grow up? What am I going to do? What does God have for me? I don't know. You don't know either. Maybe where God's going to end you up is in pain and suffering and dying. But that's up to him. Our responsibility is to stay on the way, in the way, with Jesus and walk with him through every step of that, of that journey. And there will be pain and suffering. I'm sure it was not an easy journey for this servant but he stayed on the way the whole time. So look what we have in verse 28. So the young woman ran, told her mother's household these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. We're going to learn all about sneaky Laban later in the Bible. But Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist that he heard the words uh, of his sister Rebecca saying, thus this man spoke to me that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well, and he said, Come, O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Laban is another picture and a type of a worldly man, the world, the, the carnal man. And he sees, what does he see? He sees the gold, the riches, he sees the gifts, and they, they intrigue him. They intrigue him, which is what spiritual gifts are intended to do. The greatest spiritual fruit is love, right? And when the world sees the riches of love that have been, are being just overflowing from us when we're in Christ, it should cause them to be like, hey, why don't you come hang out at my house for a little while? I'd like to get to know you and find out where you're getting these riches of spiritual gifts. Also, when you go through pain and sorrow and suffering, and yet you have peace, that is a spiritual gift. Philippians 4, 6, present your needs to the Lord and the peace which passes understanding will be given to you, okay? When that gift, that spiritual gift is seen in your life, the world can't get enough of it. They're like, why are you okay right now? You should be falling apart because I would be falling apart. You should be attacking other people because I would be attacking. That's just what you do. But you don't fight back. You don't throw spears back. You just love. You have peace. You're trusting. And those are spiritual riches that the world, the Labans of this world, find very intriguing. 
Verse 32, then the man came to the house and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, speak on. So he starts by verse 34 saying, behold, I, or he said to him, I am Abraham's servant. Again, he doesn't even say his name. The Holy Spirit never has to be like, I'm the spirit and here we go. No. He says, I serve God. All attention goes to God. I serve the Father. I proceed from the Father. Let's talk about the Father and His will. It's the ministry and work of the Spirit. He serves. He serves God. He serves us. He serves. Verse 35, the Lord has blessed my master greatly. He has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore my, a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he has given all that he has. Students of theology, very important verse. To him, he has given all he has. And John, Jesus says, all that the Father has has been given to me. All authority, and in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Keep an eye on these little, little things like that, theology students, because you're going to see God gives us these illustrations for a reason. Jesus said, all of the Old Testament was written about me. Every single book, all of it, you can relate to Jesus and helps you get to know Jesus in a new way. It's so awesome. So then he goes on through verse 37 through 49, and he retells the exact story that we just uh, read. He retells it to Laban and the entire family there because he wants there to be no confusion. So we're going to skip down now to verse 49. It says, Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, This thing comes from the Lord. We can't speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go. Let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the, servants, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. And he also gave precious things to her brother and her mother. You see, the unbelievers in our lives are blessed just by being connected to a believer. There is a blessing that's in your life and even the unbelievers that are around you simply because you're a believer. 1 Corinthians 15 explains that to us, that a marriage, even if one person is a believer and another is an unbeliever, can still be blessed by God because of the faithfulness of just the one. And the family as well. If you have children and there's a situation where they don't have a believer in one side, they're still going to be blessed because just the connection brings a blessing, God says. Now, verse 54. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning and he said, send me on my way to my master. But the brother and her mother said, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on here. Let the woman stay with us a few days, at least 10. And after that, she may go. Now, in the Hebrew, and what he's really saying is it doesn't spe specify 10 days. He's, he's saying, yeah, maybe like a year 
It could have meant like a year that they wanted her to stay. I mean, they weren't going to see her like ever again. So they were pretty upset and you can understand it. But that's always what the world says is that don't get so radical on this Jesus thing. You don't need to go to church every Sunday and go to Bible study during the week and you don't need all that. It's fine if you've You're into Jesus right now, but don't mess up their family thing we got going on here. Because we love you and we want you around here. But the servant, he's not for sharing. He doesn't want to share you. He has something so much better for you than what this world has. And he's calling us out and he's calling you out now. Now is when he wants you to go, to leave behind the pursuits of this world and to follow him to Jesus. That's when he wants you to go. Now, verse 56, and then he said to him, do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. So they said, oh, we'll call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And I love it because she said, I will go. It's a long journey. She has never even met Isaac. I mean, what if Isaac has a giant mole on his nose, like super ugly snaggletooth? What if that's Isaac? She doesn't even know. But what she does know about Isaac right now, she likes. She loves. I will go, she says. I don't know everything about him. Maybe he is ugly. But I will go because the things I have heard about him, they are intriguing to me. And in fact, I'm falling in love with this guy who would send his servant to come and get me from my end. He's he's so intense about getting me. He's coming after me. He wants me to go now. You got to come see your master. Come see this man. Come see now. I'll go. I'll go, she says. It's just like Peter says. Even though we haven't seen him, we love him. See how this illustration is perfect? It's such a divine story given to us right now. We haven't seen Jesus. I don't know what he looks like. But what I do know, I absolutely love. His grace, his sacrifice, his sending, his Holy Spirit. Oh, man, it's good. Verse 59, so they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servants, and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister may become the mother of thousands and ten thousands. They're ambitious, I see. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebecca and her maids arose and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. This is so cool, guys. This is so cool. She is now following the Spirit. The church is drawn away by the Spirit. Each one of us in our own hearts and collectively as a group, we are drawn by the Spirit towards Jesus. But what is the vehicle that she is riding on to finally get to Jesus? Ten camels. Does anyone have an idea of what character these represent in our story? And the answer is 
the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Now, remind yourself, what do we know about these ten camels? Well, there's ten of them, so that's a big clue. Number two, they're really thirsty. Ah, the law never satisfied. It takes a long time to satisfy the demands of the law. It's, it's work, as Rebecca knows full well. And then when she finally does ride on them, they're not the most comfortable. Camels are terrible for riding on. We rode in one in Israel, and this lady was riding on one, and then he kicked her off, and she broke her back and had to stay there like three more weeks. It was a bummer. And when she landed, it was like, oh, oh, and everyone was like, oh, that's not good at all. And she was screaming, and oh, that was an intense situation. Anyway, camels are not good to ride, my whole point. But these camels can do a great job at something. If you're following the Spirit, they can lead you to Jesus. Rebecca gets led to Isaac by the servant riding on the camels. And those camels are awesome. They're so thirsty, though, always having to stop and work and give them water. And she's just getting there, and she's maybe under, starting to understand that if I want to live by these camels, it's going to be work my entire life. But she's looking for the day when she can just get up off the camels and go to her man. Verse 62. Now Isaac came from the way of Be'er Lahoi Roy, which means the well of God sees. Isaac is spending time where? At a well. He's hanging out at a well too. I'm getting a picture here that wells are a good place to hang out drawing from the well, and he says, you know, he's waiting. He's not freaking out. He's hanging out. He's not stressed out. He's being refreshed. He is trusting that his father will provide for him a bride. He's not freaking out. And he has been preparing a place for his bride. You see, there's a very important tradition that the Jewish people have always had, given to them by the Lord, that when a father would tell his son, you're going to get married, that him and the bride would be betrothed. And during their time of their betrothal, the father of, these, of the man would say, I want you to prepare a place for your new life, connect it onto my home, build this new place. So the Jewish man would be building and working and his, and his father would be watching and say, keep going, keep going. Because the, the Jewish man did not know when his father would say the wedding would be. The wedding was always a surprise, always. And so the Jewish man would just keep working, building, preparing, doing all kinds of stuff to get this home for his bride prepared. And then one day, the father would say, today's the day. Go get your bride. Your bride is coming. Everything is prepared. And so the bride would be coming with her bridesmaids, and the Jewish man would go and meet her on the road and bring her in. The marriage would be had and then consummated in the place where he is prepared. But the son never knew when the father was going to say the marriage. Are you guys starting to see a picture here? 
of how it's going to work with us, how it works with his church is so cool. He's been preparing a place for his bride. The Lord has been longing for us more than we've even been longing for him. Isaac has been just, oh, I can't wait to see my beautiful, oh, he's just so excited. And he trusts the servant and he knows that he's bringing, and he's, he trusts his father and he's just so excited. The Lord longs for us more than we long for him. He's more excited about our time in heaven than we are. God is so excited about this. And it speaks of the rapture when Jesus is going to meet us halfway in the clouds and take us up to the marriage feast of the Lamb. There's much more we could say about that, but we don't have time. So verse 63, Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And then he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Oh, so good. Isaac praying, meditating, spending time. Our Father, our Jesus, is said, is in heaven right now praying for you, interceding with words that cannot even be uttered. He's giving incense to your prayers, adding incense to our prayers. He's praying for us. He's ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus pictured doing the exact same thing. He's just waiting. Now verse 64, then Rebekah lifted her eyes and she saw Isaac. And as she saw him, what'd she do? She dismounted from her camel. In the King James, it says she lighted off her camel, which is the first mention of smoking in the Bible. But she, for she, but here, she dismounted off her camels. And I hope you can see clearly now the illustration is the law, the Ten Commandments, are of no use to her once she is now united with her man. And for the church as well, once we come and we see Jesus, we see his grace, we trust that the Ten Commandments are of no use to us anymore because the love that's going to explode in our hearts will produce righteousness far beyond what those camels could ever produce. You won't be lying because the Spirit will produce truth from your inward parts. You won't be adulterous because you'll be so in love with God and what He's given you. All these things, when you see Jesus, the Ten Commandments go away. It's awesome. So, she says to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, it is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. Oh, so good. Those thirsty camels, she leaves them behind. Those demanding camels, no more use for them. So beautiful. Verse 66, so the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And Isaac he brings her into his mother, Sarah's tent, and he takes Rebekah. She becomes his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The bride is brought into the tent where Sarah once was. Now remember, I said Sarah died in chapter 23. The church is brought into the tent where Israel once lived. The place of being intimate with God, 
used by God as the light to the world. That's what Israel used to be. Everyone in the world could know God by going to Israel and taking part in the sacrificial system and hearing the word of God there. That's why God placed them in the center of the world. Now, it's the church. Now, it's important to know, they have been put away, but not forever. The church is not Israel any more than Rebecca is Sarah. She's just moved into the tent for a while. There will come a time when the rapture happens that God will begin the work of giving Abraham a new wife. Abraham, the father, is always seen pictured as, Israel is seen pictured as the wife of God. Many times in the Old Testament, she's explained and described as the wife of God, the unfaithful wife of God, but the wife of God nonetheless. And as she dies, but we see Abraham gets a new wife next week named Keturah. And this is the kind of the reborn, reimagined Israel 2.0, you could say. And she's going to have children and many children. And these children are going to describe for us as we look at them what the environment in the millennium is going to look like. It's going to blow your mind. It's really cool. So this is not the end of the story for Israel. We've already begun to see Israel come back as a nation, God's hand sovereignly regathering her. But we still have the church here. So there's going to come a time when the church disappears, goes to heaven. We go into our tent and enjoy our glorious time with Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father, starts purifying for himself a bride as well, a new wife for the Father. Such cool stuff in, this, in these, uh, in these um, chapters. Um, so what we're going to do now is we're going to, again, connect with Jesus Christ through communion. Um, this is how we make this real in our hearts you, this was a, a fascinating story, a fascinating chapter, seeing the work of the Holy Spirit. But the work, the Holy Spirit is at work right now in this room, in your heart. And what is he doing? He is drawing you to Jesus and what Jesus has done. And when we see it with our eyes of faith, this becomes so powerful. But if you come and you just fake it, it's nothing. It's just a cracker and grape juice or a gluten-free something. <laughs> but if you see Jesus and you trust Jesus and he's your man, it becomes the glory of God. It becomes every rich riches, that all the riches that you could ever want are here to come inside you. So let's worship the Lord and and. And um, Jarrett, come on up and sing another song for us. You got two? Two, two songs. All right. As he's setting up, I want to just, again, proclaim that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. And so if you have never once said, that's for me and that's my substitute, today is the day that the Holy Spirit is saying, come out of the world, like we saw in our story. Come out from Laban and that whole world system and only me. I, I want you to myself. I want you to be my bride. I'm calling you out. And I want you to leave, by ev leave behind everything 
everything. Maybe it's family, maybe it's friendships, maybe it's alcohol, drugs, anything. You can choose to say, I want Jesus instead. He can satisfy me. He can save me. And if I keep my eyes on Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, I know I'm free. That's the offer made to you, and that's what the Spirit is calling you to do today.